We are uh, almost to the end. We have done what I said we were going to do, which is read every verse uh, in the book of Revelation. Um, I didn't explain them all uh, because I, I can't. Uh, and also because this is meditation literature, just like the rest of the Bible. You're meant to return to it over and over and over and over again throughout a lifetime. Um, and it will reveal things to you every time you read it uh, that are different and new uh, and present new dimensions uh, of the Lord's grace and favor to you as you read it. So thought what we would do tonight is read through uh, the, chapter 21, which is the last chapter that we have. Um, it's uh, Christ victorious. Uh, and then talk about some of the uh, some of the implications of what we read, uh, and then we'll return to my uh, to the handout I gave you last week, which I hope you brought. And if you didn't, that's okay. Uh, and what we're just going to talk about different views of um, of the millennium. The millennium's kind of the uh, so the thousand year reign of Christ that's described in the passage that we read last week is kind of the hinge point for like four or five different views of how the end times will play out. Uh, and we'll talk about that because a lot of Christians, when you hear like, uh, oh, I'm an amillennialist or I'm a postmillennialist, you're like, well, what's that even mean, right? You know, we know what we're taught in our church, which is good, but uh, it's, it's good to understand these terms and kind of understand how people historically have thought of this book. So... Uh, that's a lot to get to, um, and I, I also I apologize if I seem a little punchy. Uh, as of like uh, 2 o'clock this afternoon, I was in uh, Tallapoosa, Georgia, um, and I drove directly. Some of you saw me walking around in my Honda uniform earlier. I uh, drove directly to uh, Hartfield-Jackson Airport in Atlanta, the worst airport in the whole world, uh, and I... I barely made my flight, and then I, I got here, and I got off a plane, and I drove here, um, and I, that's, here I am. Well, uh, I'm, I'm too stupid to stop, Dominic, so <laughs> let's go ahead. Chapter 21, verse 1, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Uh, first thing you notice here, why is there no more sea? Anybody? It. It's, it's partially symbolic. I think it's, it's, it's real. Um, it's a description of a real event that John is seeing. But uh, if you look through the Old Testament, uh, especially, uh, and even the New Testament, right, the story of Jesus walking on the water, uh, water represents chaos and disorder. Um, there's an, an excellent passage in the Psalms about uh, God fighting. Uh, he... he Fights the the uh, fights chaos, uh, and it's in the midst of swirling waters. So to the, to people in the ancient world, that that's what water represented. So what we have is a world here that is perfectly orderly, right? God has abolished chaos forever. Verse two, and I John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold. The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. 
Um, and in, in Greek, it can mean, I am making all things new, which I, I like a little bit better. And he said unto me, write, uh, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it is done. Uh, where, where else did somebody say it is done? Or it, it, it is finished. Tetelestai. It is accomplished. Right? So he's echoing Christ's words on the cross. It is finished. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Remember that when we read the first few chapters of this, uh, there's that, that series of letters to the churches that are in Asia Minor, these persecuted churches. And at the end of every passage that's addressed to these churches, uh, the, the, Christ says, to him that overcomes, and then he says what he'll, he'll give them. Uh, and so we have that repeated here uh, in verse 7. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, so that the bowls that were full of the wrath of God, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a, a wall great and high and had 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east, three gates on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth foursquare, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal." Anybody have a note in their Bible about how, how long 12,000 furlongs is? Yeah, it's like 1,500 miles. So I, do you have that picture? This is what it would look like if it were on America. Because it, it's as tall as it is wide as it is long, right? It's a cube 1,400 miles high, right? It extends outside of the atmosphere of the earth. Uh, like if it were on our earth, it would be impossible, right? Because it extends outside the atmosphere. He sees this impossible city, right? Oh, why is it a cube? Anybody? Why does it have the dimensions it has? Anybody? We went back and we looked at the, at the way that the tabernacle and the, the temple are constructed. The Holy of Holies is, has, is a cube, right? It's like a, little, like a little room inside of a room, and you go in, and it's exactly square on every side. Um, so that's what this represents. It's, it's, it's the new Holy of Holies. It's just Texas-sized. So, uh, verse 17, And he measured the wall thereof, a hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, 
the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth uh, a chrysolite. I don't know how to pronounce that. There you go. No, I don't think that's right, Matthew. The eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every, every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Remember the mark of the beast that we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, um, and how that's kind of an unholy inversion of the... the uh, well, that, that's true. Uh, that, that mark, though, uh, in the hand of the forehead uh, is a, an inversion of the priestly garb that the priests wore in Leviticus, right? They had a band that they wore across their head, and it said, I belong to God, or I belong to Yahweh. Um, and here we have God finally um, and permanently marking people uh, with his name. Uh, so, verse 4. Uh, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto them, and he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. So this is the second time he's done that. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his, that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, 
God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So, that was a lot, um, but we, we read every word. Um, let me leave you um, with a couple of thoughts about the overall theme uh, and the overall shape of the book and what it says. We talked a lot last week uh, about, uh, we got to the, 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 the defeat uh, and destruction of Babylon. Uh, and we talked about how, you know, Babylon in Revelation is a representative of Rome, right? Like it's, it's supposed to be Rome. Uh, it's not even, it's not even very well coded, right? Like a, uh, this woman who's a harlot who's riding on a beast that has uh, seven heads. Uh, and the, the angel says the seven heads are seven mountains or seven hills. Well, if, if you're a Roman and you're not an idiot, then, and you're reading that, you're like, oh, that's Rome, right? It, it doesn't come out and say, this is Rome, but it is, and it's clear. Um, but we talked about how Rome comes to stand in for the concept and idea of, hum- of exploitative human empires everywhere, in every age and at every time, right? The idea, I, I love the passage uh, in, I believe it's chapter 19, but it could be 20, where it's describing uh, all the things that, uh, the woman sells or that the city sells and it says like cinnamon and ivory and uh, gold and jewels and then the punctuation is and the souls of men right it sells everything even people uh, and I, you know I talked a little bit last week about the way in which uh, a- as a Christian the the cry to come out of Babylon is a cry for us to really thoroughly examine the ways that we participate uh, in exploitative human empires. Like, how are we... Uh, I love my country very much, um, right? Like, I'm, I'm very patriotic. Uh, I love this country. I think it's the best country in the whole world. Um, but we have, to be, we have to be citizens of heaven first, right? We have to realize and understand that sometimes, uh, sometimes America is empire, right? And you have to think, well, is this something I agree with or something that I don't? And it's okay not to agree. Christ approves. Um, so that, I, I guess, I, I would uh, encourage all of you. Um, I, there's a, a verse in chapter 22. Oh my goodness, I can't find it. Um, anyway, so uh, there's all this imagery, right, about the end, uh, the end times. Uh, and the, the end of, of the book is God's temple expanding almost to fill the world. Right? We have this uh, city that is large enough for everyone to live in. It has no need of light because the light is provided by the Lamb. Um, the people that this was written to, they would have received this as, uh, for, for us, it's a, it's a nice promise of things to come. But we're all going to leave here tonight and go to our air-conditioned home because it was hot today, so we probably turned on air-conditioning. Um, and maybe we'll get some ice cream out of the fridge, and that'll be good. Um, and we're going we're gonna to live our lives, right, uh, with this promise of things to come, but without the immediacy of, gosh, I'm being persecuted right now. Like, the police could bust in. The, the centurions could bust into my house tonight and drag me away because they know I'm a Christian. 
The people who received this book, they, they lived with the very real reality of oppressive human empire in their face at all times. We are very privileged in the West to live as we do. Very privileged. Uh, I won't say lucky because God puts people where, where he wants them. But we are extremely privileged. There are places, um, that there are places where the promise of victory that the last two chapters of this book holds are incredibly meaningful to people um, in a way that is very abstract to us, right? Um, it's, so think about that as you read this and, and come back to it over and over and over again. This imagery of a place where you don't have to hide in darkness because the Lamb provides all the light, uh, where there's no temple because God and the Lamb are the temple, uh, and you don't have to worship in secret. Everybody's worshiping right there. Um, that's like a dream come true for the people who received this. Um, and the, the call to them in chapters 19, 20, 21 to come out of Babylon, right, it is also a call. And the call for those, uh, er, those churches in Asia Minor in the first uh, three chapters uh, in their letters where it always says, uh, keep the faith, remain steady, right? This is a call to... to uh, Remember who we are uh, as sons of God, right? As children of God. Uh, and to keep the faith, to, to not participate in, in these human systems that are oppressive and exploitative. Um, and ultimately, um, to understand that the Lamb overcomes the systems of the world in this age and every age to come. So, I wanted this to describe to you the four different systems or four different ways of... Uh, Understand that I've listed four different like views uh, on this sheet that some of you have and some of you don't. Uh, but those four different views are like actually a they're like a, a thousand views because they're within each one there are a bunch of subcategories that we could talk about. I'm, I'm talking in vast generalities about the four ways of approaching this text, and, and all of them hang on the way that you look at the millennium, um, that thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. Um, and I'll start with amillennialism, um, and so I said this last week, but when you put A in front of a thing, that means no, whatever the thing is. So an atheist is somebody who, doesn't, who believes there is no God, A, and then theist is, or theos is, is God, so they, they don't believe that there's a God. Amillennialism means they don't think there's a millennium, uh, although that's not quite accurate. They think the millennium is happening now. Uh, and by that, I mean they think that Christ's, uh, uh, Christ's original, uh, he initiated the kingdom when he arrived. The kingdom of heaven started the moment that Christ, uh, of Christ's resurrection. Uh, and then he, he uh, ascended up into the clouds and or ascended into heaven and he's reigning and ruling right now. Uh, this is actually the, the it's not the, um, a, a lot of early church fathers held this view. Uh, so like Augustine and a bunch of other folks. And it's, it's very symbolic, as you can imagine. Like it, it asks us to believe things like, well, Christ is reigning and ruling spiritually because uh, he, obviously he's not completely reigning and ruling physically in the world, right? Or, or else we wouldn't have all the problems that we do. Um, with respect to uh, the second coming of Christ, it says that it's a single event. Uh, 
uh, and there's no distinction between the rapture and the second coming. Um, so God, Christ will return at some undefined period uh, in time, and he will rule and reign over all of us like physically, but uh, there's no millennium in that sense where he's returning and reigning and ruling in a physical kingdom before, um, before the end of time. So the resurrection, they think there's a general resurrection of believers and unbelievers at the second coming of Christ. Uh, judgments, they believe there's a general judgment of all people. Uh, tribulation, uh, they think that we are experiencing both the reign of Christ and the tribulation right now. So people are, things are bad all over, they'd say, right? Um, things, things are bad all over, but we can make them better um, because Christ is on his throne. Uh, they think there's no literal millennium on earth after the second coming. Uh, it's, the kingdom exists in the present church age. Uh, and for them, uh, Israel and the church, uh, they believe that church is the new Israel, so there's no distinction between the Jews uh, and us. We are, we are the, the nation, uh, are the God's called out people on the earth. Uh, for post-millennialists, uh, again, they think there's no single event, so no distinction between the rapture uh, and the second coming. Christ returns after the millennium. Uh, the, uh, in terms of the resurrection, they believe that there's a general resurrection of believers and unbelievers at the second coming of Christ and a general judgment of all people uh, and that the tribulation is experienced in the present age. If you talk to a post-millennialist you, for like two minutes, you probably wouldn't get any sense that they are different from an amillennialist. Um, but they believe that we can bring about the second coming of Christ through our work here on earth. The church age to them is the millennium. Like the, God is ruling and reigning right now because the, uh, the gospel has an impact on the nations and we can facilitate that impact on the nations through what we do. Uh, and eventually we will reach a state where everybody has heard the gospel uh, and we're ready to move into the next age. Um, for them, church is the new Israel. There's no distinction between Israel and the church. So if you asked an amillennialist or a post-millennialist, why, why what are your criticisms of premillennialism, uh, which we'll talk about next, they would say, um, so they are trying to respect the part of the, the text where Christ says to people who are with him, uh, after his resurrection um, and before. Um, th there are those of you here who are listening to me who will witness the coming of the kingdom or you, you will witness the things I'm talking about. Um, and so from their perspective, they're like, uh, well, if that, that's true, then all the trials and tribulations and bad things that are described must have happened in like 70 AD when Jerusalem was burned down and the temple was destroyed. Um, or it must just be symbolic or like uh, generally applicable to the lives of, of persecuted people. Um, I, I, Re Revelation's awfully specific about like bad things that are going to happen. Like the, there's like a lot of weird stuff. Um, and it's, I don't know that I can get on board with that. It's hard to think of things like, you know, there's that whole passage about the... Uh, uh, the one that always gets me is like the locusts with hair like women and they have a leader. And I'm like, this is obviously like, this is, this is very specific if it's symbolic and I don't understand, like what is it a symbol of? Um, so uh, we would tend to take the, the parts of Revelation that are descriptive very seriously, 
they take them seriously. We would, we would take them very literally. Um, and an amillennialist uh, or a postmillennialist would say, well, you, you're not taking the part where Christ says, the pe- some of the people here will witness these things happening. Very, you're taking that, you're not taking that literally enough. Um, so that, there are two types of premillennialism that I've listed here. Uh, the oldest one is historic premillennialism, uh, and the rapture in, in it, the rapture and the second coming are simultaneously, or simultaneous. Christ returns to reign on earth. Um, the the real distinction here uh, is that they think that the, the 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 rapture and the return, or the second coming, happen after the tribulation. They are post-tribulationalist. So the resurrection of believers uh, is at the beginning of the millennium and uh, the, re- the resurrection of unbelievers for judgment is at the end of the millennium to them. Um, um, so those are the big distinctions. Uh, and for them, uh, this, is, this is really the huge separation between the kind of dispensational pre- premillennialism that's taught in this church uh, and others like it uh, and uh, historic premillennialism is that there's a little bit of a distinction between Israel and the church, uh, but the future for Israel is uh, there's a future for the the Jewish people, uh, but we are spiritual Israel. That's the church is like this God's spiritual people. Um, I, I don't I don't know that I get that either. Um, I think that the things that the Bible says about what happens to the Jewish people are very ambiguous. Uh, and then dispensational premillennialism, and that's what's taught here um, and has been taught forever here and, and in churches, like, in independent fundamental Baptist churches like it all over the world for years and years. Um, basically, uh, the idea of dispensational uh, the, uh, premillennialism is that history is divided into different dispensations where God had different relationships with the people of God or uh, articulated his relationship with those people in different ways. It is a present reality in the way that the Bible describes things like uh, the relationship between the patriarchs and God uh, and then the nation of Israel as a nation and God um, and then the New Testament church and then, uh, right? So there are uh, it, it's not a, uh, on its face, a silly idea. Um, it, it's not, uh, I, th- I think you can argue about like where the cutoff is for different types of relationships and different ways that God has dealt with his church over time. But um, y- you can understand how there's, uh, for Israel and the church, for the, this kind of believer, there's a, a, the idea that there's a very different program uh, or set of things that are going to happen to Israel versus the church, um, and that's it's it's the easiest way to parse out in the old in the the New Testament, like how to distinguish Israel from uh, from the church in terms of like what their ultimate destinies are. Um, those are really the big differences. Uh, it, the uh, the pre-trib view uh, is part of our what we believe, like the the premillennial. Uh, a premillennial dispensationalist believes that the church does not experience the tribulation, uh, and that, you know there's not s- strong evidence one way or another in the text. I will note that uh, before the tribulation, uh, it's like church, 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 church. Right? It's it's constantly invoking the ecclesia and talking about the church all the time. 
in the first six chapters of Revelation. Uh, and then suddenly it's not talking about the church at all. It's only talking about the people who are, are experiencing all these problems and then not repenting, right? Um, so uh, that, that's, to, to me, that silence is pretty good evidence that we're not around for the tribulation. Uh, but, the, you know, that's evidence from silence. That's not, not an explicit explanation in the text that, uh, oh, God, this, this is where the rapture is, right? Because we have that text from Thessalonians, uh, but not anything in Revelation that says, uh, like, we don't have, there's not a flag that says, oh, and then the, revelation, or the, the rapture happened, right? We just don't have that. Uh, but this chart is very helpful in helping you, or this graphic depiction is very helpful in help, kind of helping you conceptualize how different, uh, different I, uh, philosophies or different ways of reading the text think about uh, the rapture and the second coming and the millennium uh, and the earthly or not earthly kingdom.